It's generally accepted that the first European to quote-unquote discover Canada was the 16th century French explorer Jacques Cartier. Commissioned by King Francis I of France in 1534, Cartier was ordered to chart what were believed to be the islands of northernmost North America, and to find the fabled Northwest Passage that supposedly led to the Far East. While he didn't find a route to Asia, he did, however, navigate the western coast of what's now the province of Newfoundland, as well as the Gulf of St. Lawrence and the St. Lawrence River in present-day Quebec. He even gave the country its name, which is based upon a Huron-Iroquois Native American word meaning village or settlement, Kanata. To this day, Cartier is celebrated as the founder of Canada, though it's important to note that he wasn't the first European to set foot there. 500 years before he and his crew put eastern Canada on the map, a group of burly seafaring folk from Scandinavia, the Vikings, had established settlements on the northernmost tip of the Great Northern Peninsula of Newfoundland in a place which they called Vinland, so named for the bountiful grapevines that grew there, the fruit of which they produced into fine wine. Led by the famous explorer, Leif Erikson, they were in fact the first Europeans to tread on North American soil. But was their discovery an accident? How and why did they get there? And what led to their relatively swift abandonment of and departure from the site? I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and welcome to the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. The entrance into eastern Canada from the icy waters of the North Atlantic is a narrow strait that separates the province of Newfoundland and Labrador right down the middle by its two namesake landmasses. The eastern side of the strait, a place called Lonzo Meadows, a French-English name meaning bay with grasslands on the aforementioned northernmost tip of the Great Northern Peninsula and the island of Newfoundland, is a lush, verdant landscape of grasses with gently rolling hills that overlooks the blue, shining waters of the open ocean. It's here that Leif Erikson and his crew first laid eyes on North America, and it was here where they would settle, albeit for a brief time. Human presence at Lonzo Meadows was by no means a new phenomenon by the time of the Vikings' arrival. Indigenous peoples of the region began populating the area some 5,000 years before. The most prominent of these were the Dorset people, a Paleo-Eskimo culture who originally hailed from the Canadian Arctic, and so named for Cape Dorset in the province of Nunavut, where the first traces of their existence were found. Though they lived there for quite some time, they finally abandoned the site for reasons that are unknown. So it was that, by the year 1000, the Norse had established what was meant to be a permanent settlement at Lonzo Meadows. But just what exactly were they doing in this new world? For that, we'll have to take a closer look at the man who led them there. For many of my listeners, the name Leif Erikson will conjure up scenes from a particularly hilarious episode of SpongeBob SquarePants, Hinga Dinga Durgan, if you know, you know, but there's more to him than just a fictitious holiday. Leif Erikson was likely born in Iceland around 970, the son of an equally famous Norse explorer named Erik the Red, who incidentally founded the first Viking settlement on Greenland. Sometime around the year 1000, Erikson and his crew set sail for Greenland in an attempt to introduce Christianity to its indigenous Inuit inhabitants. During the voyage, a storm blew the them off course, sending them farther west than they had anticipated. When they made landfall a few days later, they were startled to find a place they didn't recognize. Heavily wooded with trees, they made their way onto the shore, where Erikson noted the bountiful grapevines that grew there. As a result, he named this new land Vinland, and he and his crew began setting up shop, as it were, for a permanent Viking presence in the New World. But how do we know for certain that Leif Erikson and his crew were, in fact, the first Europeans to discover North America? Well, for starters, there are a number of written accounts which chronicle the exploits of the famed Norse explorer. Two medieval Icelandic sagas, or epic poems based upon earlier oral traditions, the Grandlendinga saga, 
Saga of the Greenlanders, and the Erik Sagaraltha, Saga of Eric the Red, collectively known as the Vinland Sagas, were composed some one to two hundred years after the actual events. Though they're quite comprehensive in regards to the people and settings they describe, they cannot be deemed wholly historically accurate because they're based solely on oral tradition. For a more fact-based account, contemporary historians often refer to that of Adam of Bremen, a medieval German cleric who's credited with the first written record of the Norse landing in North America. In his account, penned in 1075, a mere three-quarters of a century after the fact, he writes... He, that is, Sven Estridsson, the king of Denmark, also told me of another island discovered by many in that ocean. It is called Vinland because vines grow there on their own accord, producing the most excellent wine. Moreover, that unsown crops abound there, we have ascertained not from fabulous conjecture, but from the reliable reports of the Danes. While Adam of Bremen was not present during Leif Erikson's landing, he nevertheless goes to the source, that is, Scandinavia, to gather information on this curious chapter in history. Most Europeans at the time were not even thinking of a new world, and the age of exploration was another 400 years off. It's thanks in part to this medieval clergyman that we have such valuable information surrounding the Viking exploration of North America. So what was life in Vinland like? As previously stated, it was heavily wooded at the time, a stark contrast to the Lonzo Meadows site today. A dense forest of trees blanketed the hilly coastline. Seeing the possibilities, Leif ordered them to be cut down, the logs of which would be used to build ships and the sod for constructing houses. Much like other Norse settlements in Scandinavia and Greenland, there was a blacksmith, which contained a forge, a carpentry workshop, which proved vital for home repairs, and a boat repair shop. As for their diet, they harvested and hunted local flora and fauna respectively. Butternuts were a common snack, and, as far as meat was concerned, they had more than their fair share of caribou, fox, bear, wolf, all manner of bird and fish, and even whale and walrus. Archaeologists believe that the population wasn't all that large, but that, based upon the dwellings found there, it could accommodate anywhere from 30 to 160 residents. As to be expected, the Norse settlers soon came in contact with the region's indigenous inhabitants, who were believed to be the ancestors of the present-day Beothuk of Newfoundland. Despite later European encounters with various Native American tribes, relations between the Vikings and Skralingi, their name for the First Peoples, were, for the most part, peaceful. They established a prosperous trade network with them, exchanging iron goods for food and tools. The natives, in turn, led them to the places where big game tended to gather. It was a benevolent coexistence, but one that wouldn't last very long. Within a few years of the settlement's establishment, it was abandoned. Historians have long speculated the reason for this. Interestingly enough, the aforementioned Vinland sagas, though ruled out as historically accurate, could perhaps offer clues into the Vikings' departure from North America. In the latter Erik Sagaraltha, saga of Eric the Red, it's inferred that disputes within the community caused a rift that ultimately led to its disintegration. Another section suggests that hostilities with a different indigenous people caused the Norse to flee after a brief but bloody conflict. While the exact cause remains a mystery, we know that the settlement at Lonzo Meadows lay lost and forgotten for nearly a millennium, until the mid-20th century. The year is 1960. A husband and wife archaeological team from Norway, the Ingstads, Helge, the husband, and Anna, the wife, having been spurred on by the Vinland sagas, have come to Newfoundland in search of what they believe to be the place where Leif Erikson and his crew settled in North America. While there, a man named George Decker from the small fishing town of Lonzo Meadows guides them to a spot along the coast, which the locals call the Old Indian Camp, so named for the curious mounds in the grassy terrain. Long thought to be Native American burial grounds, the Ingstads begin digging, only to unearth partial Viking residences 
bronzes and iron artifacts which correlate with those found in both Greenland and Scandinavia. The discovery created quite a stir, not just in Canada but throughout the world, for it revealed the farthest and earliest European exploration of North America prior to the discoveries of Christopher Columbus. Eight years after the Ingstad excavations, in 1968, Lonzo Meadows was named a National Historic Site by the Canadian government, and, a decade later, was honored with the distinction of being a UNESCO, that is, United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, World Heritage Site. At long last, after years in obscurity, the Vikings' contribution to the exploration of North America have been recorded for posterity's sake. What's perhaps most fascinating about the discovery of the site at Lonzo Meadows is that it changed our preconceived notions surrounding the discovery of North America. We tend to think of history as a series of universally accepted facts, which to an extent is true, but with each new discovery it's constantly being rewritten and reshaped. This is what makes the subject so intriguing and very much alive, and while no other pre-Columbian settlements have yet been unearthed, who knows, there may be others in the wings just waiting to be discovered. Thanks for listening. Remember, if you like what you hear and would like to support this podcast to ensure future episodes and content, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Just go to anchor.fm slash historylovescompany and click the support button. There you'll find monthly support plans in three different tiers. Any and all help is greatly appreciated. Be sure to tune in next Thursday and every Thursday for a brand new episode of the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off. See you next time.